Hockey Night in Canada legend Scott Oak joins us on the program to talk about a new facility honoring his son that is going to help a lot of people. Joe Tilly Sports, coming up! Very excited about this week's guest. He grew up, he was born in Sydney, Nova Scotia, grew up in Sydney and Newfoundland. He was in a pre-med program at Memorial University. When he joined CBC in 1974, he was a sports anchor on CBWT in Winnipeg from 79 to 89, host of Hockey Night in Canada and After Hours. He's hosted and covered events at 12 Olympic Games, a Gemini Award winner as Canada's best host or interviewer, a member of the Order of Manitoba, ladies and gentlemen, Scott Oak joins us on the program. Scott, welcome. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And some of it, Joe, is almost true. Yeah. Well, this is this is well. We like to begin at the beginning here, Scott, and and uh, it's all true. We, it's all, you being a great guy is definitely true. So you're in a pre-med program at, at Memorial University in, in Newfoundland. How do you end up in, in sports broadcasting? <laughs> well, it was called pre-med, but really it was a collection of science courses, and I wasn't all that devoted to yeah. it. Um, I've told this story many <laughs> times, so I apologize to anyone watching who might have heard it uh, six or seven times before. But uh, when I was attending Memorial University in Newfoundland, I uh, followed my older brother, my late older brother, to the university radio station where, as uh, chance would have it, I fell in love with the sound of my own voice and uh, really... <laughs> was taken by by broadcasting sports broadcasting in particular because we would we would go so far as to do remotes of memorial biothic that's what they were called then uh hockey games um someone suggested uh, that i should apply for a summer relief job at uh, summer relief sportscasters job at cbc newfoundland and so i did uh put my application in didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks maybe three weeks and so i thought i should phone over and the gentleman who answered the phone said, as a matter of fact, you're the only one to apply for that job. So why don't you come in and start on Monday, <laughs> thereby proving the only way for me to get a job was if no one else applied. Uh, but that was back before broadcasting was seen as this distinguished profession that it's become. It was almost more of a novelty. And this was in the early 70s. Uh, so I did that summer relief job for two years. And at the end of the second summer, uh, one of the full time sportscasters, uh, they had two of them at the time, um, quit to go to law school. And uh, don't ask me how I got the full-time job because at the time I spoke faster than the speed of light and I thought I knew everything. And if I had to, I could get it all out in one long sentence. Uh, but somehow I got the job and, uh, and my father was furious uh, because he had come from that generation of, of hardworking people who really only wanted their kids to do a little bit better than they had done. And for him, that uh, entailed a university education. Uh, so I placated him by telling him that I was only going to do the job for um, a couple of years and then I'd go back to university and finish my degree. Uh, then I got to go to the Olympics in Montreal in 1976, whereupon I decided my career had already peaked <laughs> and yeah. there was no point in going back to school. Uh, that was a thrill, by the way, to cover the Olympics in Montreal. But uh, I think my father, uh, up until he died about what six or seven years ago, asked me every month uh, when I was going to go back to school 
to university and finish my degree so I'd have something to fall back on when the CBC Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet figured out I was no good. Um, they haven't caught up to me yet, and I never went back to finish my degree, so here we are. <laughs> so hey, I just killed, I just killed two minutes on the podcast with that story. Yeah, no, that's good. No, <laughs> that's, that's an awesome story. And, and uh, I mean, uh, I, I can I can relate to a lot of it, and we're going to get into some of that later on. But, uh, yeah, so, so, so you know, placating your, your parents that you're going to eventually go back to school. Of course, you, ne- you never did. But you ended up in Winnipeg with a pretty good, solid gig there. That must have helped a little bit, right? Oh, absolutely. I came here in, in the uh, Christmas season of 1975 to replace the late, great Don Whitman on the local sports. Don, as you would know, Joe, and, and many of your viewers as well, <clears throat> was uh, one of the, the, the top broadcasters of his time. Uh, and to be around him and to develop a friendship with him was very much to my benefit. He taught me a lot about preparation, in particular, um, hard work, getting ready for a broadcast, etc. So all of that, to a degree, rubbed off on me. And uh, there couldn't have been, when I think back on it, uh, you know, many years ago, 1975, do the math. What is that, 45 years ago, 46 years ago? Um, 46, couldn't have been yeah. a better place. Yeah, couldn't have been a better place in time for me than to be here in Winnipeg. And uh, I was very, very fortunate to to be able to move here. Don really seemed like a great guy. Uh, you know, when, whenever I talked to Don, whenever I met Don anywhere, it was he was like a very gracious guy. It seemed like a pretty humble guy considering, you know, the type of position he had and, and a lot like yourself. So it seemed to rub off on you. Well, I'll say this about Don. There was no one better in the business, anywhere in the world, I would say, better at calling an event that went up and down a field of play or around a, a circle on a track. Uh, he could do anything. And he was, uh, you know, well known, not just for football, but for hockey, curling, track and field. I watched him. I just thought about this the other night at uh, the Olympics in Athens when Perdita Felician was the favorite to win the 100 hurdles and she tripped over the first hurdle. Now, that race takes about 12, 13 seconds to unfold. And I was standing in the mix zone waiting to interview the winner, whom we anticipated being Perdita Felician. And in the space of uh, the first one, two seconds of the race, everything fell apart. And Don and it was Don was calling it live, and he never missed a beat. He said, "Perdita, I can't remember the exact uh, verbiage, but it was something to the effect of, and Felician trips over the first hurdle, and uh, the Russian takes the lead, and now the way is clear for whoever it was. I can't remember who won, but he nailed it live. And I'm standing there thinking, man, if that was me, I'd have to have look at that video 16 times and try to get it right in uh, in a post-recording session and and don did it live and that was just one example of uh, of how on top of things he was when he uh, when he worked a sporting event yeah he was uh, don was uh, one of the greats and uh, shall ever be remembered as such yeah genius and, and, and you have to have the memory for that race uh, horse race callers always impressed me as well you know mm-hmm. like Daniel yeah. Lucelle, same thing you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did you end up with hockey at Hockey Night in Canada from from uh, from the gig in Winnipeg? And how did that come about? Well, basically because of the Jets um, and their uh, move into the NHL from the World Hockey Association in 1978, I started contributing to Hockey Night in Canada, doing, you know, items that uh, features, et cetera, that were there during the intermission. Uh, but um, in the late 80s, I uh, was uh, assigned the job of being host of the CFL on CBC. 
And uh, I did that job for 10 years and um, they decided that I wasn't good enough at that. So they put me uh, over onto hockey, basically is how it happened. <laughs> no, I, I quite enjoyed uh, doing the CFL on CBC, but uh, 10 years after I started that job, um, Hockey Night in Canada developed a pregame show and, and the double header format had been in play, I think, for a few years before that. But the pregame show uh, required uh, features and, uh, you know, uh, I think it was called the headliner, the story of the week. And so I did that and that um, actually facilitated my move into working on hockey full time. And uh, that would have been 1997, 98, I guess. And since then, I've uh, I've worked on Hockey Night in Canada. Um, well, uh, that would be what twenty years? No, twenty three. Uh, I'm great at 24. math, aren't I? Twenty four. <laughs> twenty four. Twenty four. I get. I'm getting twenty four. Right? <laughs> uh, twenty four. Twenty five years. Whatever. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, been there ever it's since. It's a good run. And, uh, enjoy, enjoyed every moment of it. I've got to work. Uh, you know, the final every year. Uh, probably not this year because of the pandemic, but you know, just being out on the ice at the uh, the end of uh, a long run in the playoffs and that slice of Canadiana when players are celebrating their lifelong goal with their parents, et cetera. Uh, it's been one of the, the treats of, of doing this job. Well, you know, uh, we, we, uh, we all, you always have to work with good people. I know you've worked with good producers. You, you know, we have to have good people around us and, I've got my buddy Vic, uh, our producer, who's who's amazing, and, and it helps uh, you know to have those people around us. Has there been one person that sort of helped you along the way? I know you mentioned Don Whitman. Is there somebody you know with Hockey Night in Canada that's really uh, been instrumental in your your success there? I always say that if I had to name um, all the people who helped me get to where I am in broadcasting, that I it'd be like reading the phone book. Um, I go back to the days of doing local sports here in Winnipeg. I was the most undisciplined um, employee that probably has ever existed uh, in, in this business. I remember the sportscast aired at at uh, six twenty five, I think, and I would run downstairs. The editing base we were downstairs, and I would run downstairs with an armload of tapes, those big clunker tapes, and um, every wow. tape except the one I needed. And I would lay down a voiceover on the back of a napkin and uh, run upstairs uh, on the way out the door, say to the editor, just cover that. I don't know with what, but he'd figure it out. <laughs> and uh, and then, uh, you know, I'd pound out the script, run upstairs with about two minutes to go before the sportscast went on the air and uh, and hope that uh, everything worked out. And it almost always did. Uh, so I, I really put a lot of strain on a lot of people. And I'm surprised about two years into it, they didn't say, you know, we can do without you. But they didn't. So uh, I was lucky. So uh, it starts with um, all of the people at CBC Manitoba who put up with my nonsense, as I like to say. Um, and then moving on to uh, the CFL and Hockey Night in Canada, uh, it's a long list. But uh, I already mentioned one, Don Whitman who uh, taught me the value of, uh, of preparation and uh, and and uh, also, I guess, the credo that too much information is never too much in, in our business. Um, one of our producers that uh, I've developed a close friendship with and has, uh, even at this stage of my career, late stage of my career, has pushed me to be better every time I've worked with him, and that's Shirelli and Ajak. He and I are very close friends, and he's uh, the senior a producer on Hockey Night in Canada was at one point the executive producer. Um, I, uh, I'm going to stop there because uh, if I start 
into a list of names, I'll surely forget somebody and it wouldn't be a good thing. But let's just say, Joe, that it's a long, long list. Well, you know, I, I just I know exactly where you're coming from. I was the same guy uh, at my I remember my first day at, uh, at CFTO. Uh, I had uh, an editor, Bobby Oda, ripping scripts for me. It was this thing like I, I just couldn't miss. I didn't want to miss anything, right? So I had to get everything yeah. in there, and I'm jamming. I, I, I like it was a it was a constant thing that was that stuck with me right until the the very end. I always try to get 12 minutes into a into, into a six minute show, and uh, you know. And at the and end of it, having, uh, uh, unable to remember anything you said, right? <laughs> it's like right, right. That uh, the uh, closing scene in Anchorman. Good night, San Diego, and uh, yourself. Uh, it, it's for some people is is not far from the truth because uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was the same. Your, your desire to yeah. to jam so much into uh, into a limited space of time was was always tantalizing, and uh, and I think we fell for it many times. And then it, it takes many right. years of your career to finally figure out that less is more, right? That people what you right. want is right. people to, to actually remember what you said and get something out of it. Yeah. Which is far more important, and 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 uh, you know, I, I think I finally got it now. <laughs> I finally got it yeah. now that I'm not, you know, not working. I just now need that... Joe. I just need a couple more years of this, and I'll be good at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, but like, I, well, and and having to have the last, the most updated score, the last possible score. I one and one time I made the dreaded mistake. It was uh, Monday Night Football, and it was a Monday night, obviously. <laughs> and I'm, I'm running down to the studio, and the Bills lead the Cowboys by three. They've got the ball. There's a minute and a half left. I go, like, okay, the Bills <laughs> win 27-24. And, and I run downstairs, and I, and I said, the Bills won at 27-24. I get upstairs. The Cowboys came back and won that game <laughs> in overtime. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things, right? Oh. And, it, 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 and, and, and another lesson I learned is don't fake it. <laughs> just tell them the actual yeah. truth so but but exactly. you know that's that's what happens when yeah. when you get caught right and so hey so i want to go back to uh uh you know some of your stuff at, at hockey in, in canada so we have got a clip here you're interviewing pk subban and connor mcdavid at the all-star game a few years back <laughs> and and uh brought up the subject of snoop dog and, and you tried to yeah uh, what is it lay one down i guess it is <laughs> So Vic, uh, drop a track. What was it like being on stage <laughs> with uh, track. Snoop Dogg last night? It was awesome. It was amazing. Probably uh, one of my number one highlights for sure in my lifetime. I mean, I don't know how many people get an opportunity to be on stage with Snoop Dogg and do a couple songs with them. I felt like a rapper for about an hour and a half. You a Snoop fan? <laughs> um... Say yes. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm a big Snoop fan, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I talked to Snoop back in 07, and it was probably the biggest thing I've done in my career. May have extended it by about 10 years. So I was hoping he was going to be here today so I could talk to him again, but he's canceled at the last minute. But I got something. I'm going to try it on both you guys. You okay with that? Yeah. yeah. Sure. I'm with the big boss dog himself. He knew the job was dangerous when he took it. If you scared, go to church. What's the realest thing you ever heard? Keep your mind on your money and your money on your mind. That's cool. Did I sound oh, yeah. just pathetically sad? Yeah, going? Very, very happy. I think you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> yep. Ron, back to you. Hip it is. Hip it is. That was so yeah. much fun. I just, I think, you know, I think that, PK that, bailed you out, right? 
Absolutely. The genesis of that was uh, the Stanley Cup final in 07 when Shirelli was our producer. And he said, Snoop is coming to the game tonight. I want you to interview him. I knew who Snoop Dogg was, but that was pretty much the extent of it. Yeah. And so I phoned Darcy yeah. and I said, Darcy, yeah. uh, I'm interviewing Snoop Dogg tonight. And if I told him it was going to be Jesus Christ reincarnate, he couldn't have been any more impressed. So uh, <laughs> I said, tell me what to say. I, I don't know what to do here. So he, he said, OK, say this. And I was writing it down. And so he said, I'm with the dog father, D-O-double-jizzy. Big ups on this crunk planet. What's crackalating nephew? It sounded like Russian to me. He said, read it back. And I did. And he goes, Dad, if you say it like that, he, he's going to be furious. He might, he'll, he'll hit you. And uh, he said, you got to say it with some, with some conviction. And so I got in front of the mirror. Some guy wrote in the paper the next day, a Michigan paper, that I was a pathetic old man who sounded like he got in front of the mirror and practiced for an hour. <laughs> to get this out. And I took objection to that because it wasn't an hour. It was two hours. <laughs> and I, I didn't care what else happened in the game that night. I had to get this right. And so uh, it came time to interview him, I think, at the start of the second intermission or the end of the second intermission, start of the of the third period. Or maybe it was the end of the of the first intermission, start of the second, whatever. Um, I go over and, you know, those those uh, periods of time, Joe, when you're getting ready to interview somebody and, and there's about three or four minutes to kill before you actually do it if you're doing it live. And uh, I went into the middle of his group. He was surrounded by eight BMF security guards who looked like they, were, they weren't in the mood for any tomfoolery. Along comes this, <laughs> this guy that's going to interview Snoop. And so they were staring at me. But I sat down and talked to Snoop. We had a wonderful conversation. Listen to me dropping the name like I knew him. But he made you, made me feel that way. <laughs> um, very nice guy. And so anyway, uh, you know, it was a relaxed discussion or, or exchange of pleasantries that we had before we actually went on the air. And now it's about uh, 10 seconds away before we come back from commercial. And I'm going to welcome us back with, uh, with Snoop. So I thought, nice guy. What the heck? I'll try it. And uh, I, I remember coming back from commercial and I said back uh, in Anaheim for a period, whatever it is, of uh, game, whatever it was, the Stanley Cup final. And I'm with one of the world's great contemporary musicians. And it came out like this. I'm with the dog father, D-O-double-jizzy. Big ups on this crunk planet. <laughs> What's crackling, nephew? And I... And there was a pregnant pause of about a second, and, and I looked at him, and I thought, oh, my God, please make him like he says. <laughs> he might have gone. I was worried he was going to go, what are you trying to do? Make, you making fun of me or something? Instead, he looked at me, and he said, I'm doing good, baby, and I love the way you said that. And uh, then we were – then it just, you know – sort of moved into a typical interview where he was very relaxed, and that got on uh, – on YouTube, I guess it got more views than anything else I've ever done. <laughs> so that was the peak of my career, as I said in that clip with uh, PK and Connor McDavid. So fast forward to the All Star Game in Los Angeles. Was that seventeen? I think I can't remember. Again, I'm as good on dates as I am at math. And, Four years. Uh, ago. <sighs> okay, so um, Snoop was supposed to be there for that uh, the the, the All Star uh, game on Sunday or games is because of the format. So um, I had that ready. I called Darcy again and I said, tell me what I can do that can take this up a notch, right? And uh, so he, he dictated that. And, uh, and I got in front of the mirror and practiced it. And Snoop never showed up, but I, I didn't want to waste it. So we were talking to no. PK and Connor McDavid. I thought I'd pull it out. And PK, as you, were, you nailed Joe when you said he saved me, otherwise it would have fallen horribly flat 
um, and uh, and made me look even stupider than I actually looked. Uh, and it was a uh, it, it was neat. And the funny thing about it was Connor McDavid left the room shortly after that to warm up, and I was outside the room waiting to interview somebody else. And he stopped. And he said, "I had no idea what you were doing there. <laughs> I didn't get any of that." <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is which is why when I said said to him, did, did I sound hip or just sound like pathetic old guy trying to sound hip? And he goes, <laughs> and he said, no, you're really hip. So he played along too. But anyway, it was uh, it was fun. <laughs> it was it was awesome. And yeah, yeah, like I said, uh, PK Bill and Yod, because Connor wasn't helping the situation yeah. at all. Uh, yeah, although no. he did say you were happy, that was good. So we, we we got another thing here I want to I want to touch on. So now there's some history I know you have with with, with Ryan Reeves. Uh, mm. Well, first of all, tell us about about that because we've seen you on 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 camera with Ryan Reeves numerous times, but there was some history there. Tell us about that. Well, there's lots of history and it's ongoing. Um, we moved into our house in 1985. And uh, shortly after, we were one of the first houses on the street. The house was built for us. And uh, Willard, Willard Reeves, Ryan's father, was then playing for the Bombers. And uh, he and his wife, Brenda, built their house kitty corner to us not long after we moved in. Had their kids uh, same time as we did. Ryan is in between Bruce and Darcy. And Jordan is the younger boy in the family. Uh, just a bit younger than, I think, a year younger than Darcy. Um, so the kids, you know, just by the nature of location became very, very close. And Ryan uh, was in our house all the time, uh, hanging around with either Bruce or Darcy in a lot of cases, both uh, like one of our kids. So when I interview him on TV, having watched him grown up and uh, grow up, uh, I, uh, it's like interviewing one of my own kids and any pretense of journalism uh, goes right out the window. And, uh, you know, I don't apologize for that because it's just the kind of relationship that uh, that our family has with Ryan. And those interviews usually descend into outright buffoonery. Uh, but fortunately, uh, more people like them than don't. Right. Well, we got we got a clip here. Uh, so you you're with uh, Cassie and uh, you're interviewing Mark Stone and and uh, and, and Reeves. Oh, shows yeah. Up, so, uh, Let's 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 roll that back. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I can't wait to see it again. Myself to to play in the <laughs> game. And, um, ever since I got to Vegas, I think both my line mates kind of do the same with uh, Paul and Max. And um, you know, we just want to uh, when you're helping the team win. Uh, <laughs> what? Winnipeg's finest right here. Would you get it? I like your outfit. Oh, what a guy. Cassie, you got a question for Mark? You could tell by your celebration. Yeah, that is, that is he's he's just that is so awesome. I mean, you can't you can't uh, you can't make that stuff up. You can't buy that stuff. It, it, it's just absolutely priceless. And I know he he started. Well, Ryan is a, a thing, spoiled right? rotten kid. Who all, Ryan is a spoiled rotten kid who always has to have the last word. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then rubbing your head for good luck uh, during interviews. Oh yeah, like that, that. that's a good luck for, for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the word yeah. once, and so now he can't stop doing it. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, the first exactly. time he did it, he scored the uh, he scored the goal that knocked the Jets out of the uh, conference final in eighteen. 
And right. uh, so it's his, it's his go-to move now. So I, I'm ready for it. But admittedly, with me being uh, follicularly challenged, it's not a good look, but what the heck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I got some of that. That happens as we get a little bit older. But it's so, uh, it's, it must, you must mean torn, okay? So the Winnipeg guy, you know, his Golden Knights are playing the Jets. And, and uh, you know, you, 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 got, you got, Ryan, you're, you're, you're a kid you've known since he was born, basically. And, and uh, a great friend of the families. And you got your Jets. I mean, you have to be torn a little bit when that series is going on. Well, um, I always say that I don't cheer for any team in particular, right? Because uh, what we want, all we want on Hockey Night in Canada is uh, good games and uh, a big audience. Uh, and the country uh, to enjoy it. Um, I think that applied to the Vegas Winnipeg series for sure. Um, but when Ryan's playing, I don't. I certainly do not cheer for the Vegas Golden Knights because of our friendship. Um, I just, you know, try to remain as neutral. I do remain as neutral as I possibly can. Um, not necessarily torn, but that series and uh, going back to to eighteen was special because. Um, I am a Winnipegger, and and the city never looked as good as it did back then, and uh, hopefully we'll see that again sometime. Yeah, and in Toronto too, we're hoping. Uh, so, you know, Scott, I've talked about some of the uh, the, um, the the stuff we got in common. Um, we also have uh, this in common. We both lost a son to an overdose, and and uh, we lost our amazing Spencer in in October of 2014, mm -hmm. and of course you lost. Uh, Bruce in, in 2011. Uh, tell us about Bruce. Bruce was our beautiful firstborn son, precocious kid. Um, he, in a lot of ways, well, in every way, was as talented as uh, Darcy. As Darcy's making his way now as an internationally renowned illusionist, Bruce was uh, was uh, good at contemporary music, uh, hip hop. Um, he was a special kid. I, I always tell a few stories about um, what he was like as a kid, because I guess uh, when we talk about Bruce, and I'm sure as, when you talk about Spencer as well, Joe, is that you want people to know that um, that they were kids just like anybody else and, and could have been anything in life, as I've said. So, you know, Bruce, when uh, he was, I think, three and a half, we were in front of the house playing street hockey. And like any father, <clears throat> I was telling him, this is how you stick handle, this is how you shoot, this is how you uh, hold the stick, etc. And at the age of three and a half, he looked up at me and he stopped everything, looked up to me and said, you know, dad, if you're so good at it, you should be playing it, not just talking about it. So at that early age, he figured out his father was nothing more than a professional gas bag. Um, oh, oh, made the, <laughs> he made the, oh, the varsity oh. basketball team. Yeah, made the varsity basketball team in, in uh, high school. He was uh, an accomplished boxer. He boxed in the Canada Games, was provincial champion for a number of years. Um, he got into boxing uh, because he had seen me cover it at a couple of Olympic Games. That's what drew him to the sport. Uh, but, you know, his mother and I weren't fans of him going into boxing because what parent wants to see their kid get punched in the head, right? But um, he, he, he wouldn't let up. And so I finally took him to uh, the Crescentwood Boxing Club where he signed up and he became pretty good at it, as I say. And, and uh, I think, uh, you know, Every one of us at some point in our probably teens thought, I can take the old man, right? But why would I have any reason to find out in a loving, caring home? And so most kids don't. But I always remember 
Bruce, when uh, he was getting ready for the Canada Games, he he just he had that thought in his head, and so he kept inviting me into the ring after every training session. And you know, there's nothing in it for me. I mean, that was just a loser's game right. for me to say yes to that. So I declined every invitation until one day at the Crescentwood Boxing Club, he was uh, he was the last person there, so he was going to be turning the lights out. And Darcy and I, it's not far from our house, so Darcy and I went to pick him up, <clears throat> and don't ask me why. But on that day, I accepted the invitation, got into the ring, gloved up, and within 20 seconds, I was bent over against the corner turnbuckle, uh, kidney shots raining down on me, praying that I'd only be passing blood for about two weeks. And uh, he, he just walked away in an ultimate sign of, uh, of disparaging the old man's ability to defend himself. He walked away and went like this. And in the car on the way home, I remember there's the deepest, deepest cut of all. He said, you know, Dad... If a criminal broke into our house, I'd have to say this. You couldn't do it. <laughs> and I I said to him, uh, I don't know, I made some nonsense up about, you know, well, that's a uh, I, I, uh, different kind of strength required to subdue a criminal than in the boxing ring or something like that. He wasn't buying it, though. So he had the answer to his question about can I take the old man at the age of 14 or 15. Um, I'm going to tell you one more story uh, about his love of contemporary music. He, uh, high school, it was high school, uh, a school night. And his mother was, Anne was, uh, I think she was out of town visiting a friend. So I was in charge of, uh, of the, of the house and the kids. And Bruce said to me, it was in grade 10, I think, can I go to the, uh, or maybe grade 11, can I go to the, the rap battle at the university of Manitoba tonight? And I said, okay, but be home by 10 o'clock and, uh, 10 o'clock came and he wasn't home. 11 o'clock came, no sign of him. By midnight, I'm standing at the front door waiting to invoke all manner of punishment. And he came in, uh, and disarmed me completely when he waved in my face, five crisp, uh, new $100 bills and said, Hey, look dad, I won the whole contest. And I said, son, that's the way to come home late and I'll get to bed. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it was, uh, he was a special kid, uh, and we would give everything we have in this world to have one more day with him, but that's not going to happen. So we do the best we can, as do you. Right, and and that's what we do, right? And I, I think you know, there's no better way to to uh, to help us in our journey of of uh, you know recovering from that. I mean, we have BFO Brief Families of Ontario that we went to shortly after Spencer passed, which was helpful for us. So, and I'm in recovery group, which helps me uh, a lot in, in, in that respect as well. But one way you've really been able to, uh, you know, uh, help Bruce uh, with his legacy is, is opening up the the, uh, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Um, tell us about that journey. Uh, what, what's the, how that started and and uh, and uh, what happened? Well, when Bruce died, March of 2011, uh, you know, we were overcome with grief. Um, but we, we knew we wanted to do something. We weren't sure what, a uh, very close friend of ours, uh, Ross Rutherford, uh, is a friend of mine going back to our early days in broadcasting and Ross has since moved on to other things, but, um, he was a kindred spirit of Bruce's, uh, they, they connected, uh, in a lot of ways. And, uh, Ross came to us and said, look, uh, if you ever want to do something, um, maybe we should start a fund and we'll go to the Winnipeg Foundation, which is the umbrella group for a lot of uh, funds in memory of uh, late loved ones. And and we set up a fund and people started to donate. Not a lot of money to begin with, uh, but then we had the idea uh, from that grew the idea that we would uh, we would start a foundation that would do one of two things. It would send 
people to rehab. We'd raise enough money to be able to send people to treatment or we would build our own facility. Um, I honestly, Joe, the, uh, the latter, building our own facility at the time seemed overwhelming because we were going to have to raise millions of dollars. And in Winnipeg, there is perpetually four or five capital campaigns uh, running, whether it's the University of Manitoba, the Art Gallery, Aviation Muge Museum, Health Sciences, etc. So we thought it was going to be entirely too difficult to raise the money. But we, we, we kept going with the idea. We met with a lot of government officials and uh, finally... Uh, it was an idea. Let me put it that way. It was an idea for about uh, six and a half years. And finally, uh, at that point, uh, six and a half years into it, we we met uh, someone who knew how to navigate the halls of the legislature and uh, and City Hall. She eventually uh, became and remains the executive director of our foundation. Her name is Marnie Larkin. Um, and she uh, she knew how to get things done. So we started to get some traction then. And uh, we got into the public consciousness by speaking at a lot of events and uh, got it out there that we had this plan. It, uh, it got support from the city and the province. And to cut to the chase, we raised in a little over a year, a year and a half, 16 million bucks to get the place built. It's built now. It's up and running. It's a beautiful 50-bed uh, facility. Um, it, there you see it. It's a it's wide open, it's bright, it's airy, it's welcoming, and uh, we're taking uh, residents in now. There's about 20 in there now, and by the end of July, the place will be full. We expect 180 or 200 men uh, each year to pass through Bruce Oak, and, uh, and every one of them, we hope, will be able to get their lives back. Um, that may be asking too much because there is a failure rate in recovery, but, but everybody's got a chance there, right? The Bruce Oak Recovery Center offers hope, and it offers hope based on on two cornerstones. One is a continuum of care um, that you can stay in the program for as long as it takes to get it right. It's not 21 days, 45 days, 90 days. It's however long it takes to get it right, and that could be a year, it could be two years. Um, and the second cornerstone of it is those who can't afford to pay are not turned away because they're covered by a combination of social assistance and fundraising. Uh, so no one's left behind at Bruce Oak, and it's uh, it's our son's legacy. Just uh, last week, we took Bruce's ashes uh, out to the recovery center, and he's in his final resting place now. Uh, he's right beside. I, I wish I had a picture of it. I should have sent it to you earlier. You could have, you could have put it up there. But his urn is on a pedestal just as you come in the front door to your immediate left. It's the first thing you see, and uh, unwritten. Uh, in in Bruce's uh, final resting places for anyone who goes through there hoping for seeking recovery is you do your work here or that could be you right so Bruce's spirit uh, lives at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center and uh, and we're we're delighted just delighted we've been blessed to have so much support and I always say that we're reluctant to take credit for uh, for the the establishment of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center because we're good really at, at two things. Uh, having lunch and asking for money. There's a lot of other people who did the heavy lifting to get that place built, and we were fortunate that uh, that they 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 were and remain there for us. Well, you know, there's there's we have a lot of connection, Scott. It's incredible, but the, yeah, I know the guy who who runs the facility for you, Greg Kylo, is a very good friend mm -hmm. of yes, our son Tyler's. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and uh, uh, you know, so you have good people there. You've gone, uh, you know, you basically. You, left no stone unturned. This is like you, you really, uh, you know, 
done your best to make sure you have the the ultimate place and in, in, in allowing like you know I went through I went through a treatment center um, Spencer mm-hmm. went through a treatment center uh, and and that was when he had his best shot right and and uh, and he stayed uh, clean and sober for for a period of time after that and I know the same thing happened with Bruce right but this is a mm-hmm. deadly disease and 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 yeah. uh, as we know and 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 ultimately we you know both of our our boys to come to that but um you know uh tell us about you know finding the right people and 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 and, and that coming together well uh again going back to you know people giving Anna and I credit again it's uh we 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 had an idea uh we we prevailed i guess in the fundraising area but we're smart enough to know that we're not going to have anything to do with running the place i mean Anne looks forward to going out there and making lunch and she's currently decorating the family room uh, where families can uh, can come and hang out when uh, their their uh, loved ones are there seeking recovery um I'll, I'll hang out in the dish pit. I can do that. Uh, but that's going to be the extent of our involvement in running the place. Uh, we remain active on the foundation to raise the money to keep the place going. But that's it. Uh, people who know what they're doing are the ones charged with the responsibility of, uh, of running Bruce Oak. Greg is uh, very accomplished. Uh, you know, Joe, but your, your viewers should know that uh, he uh, has a degree in social work, a degree in business. And best of all, he is, uh, and he's proud of this, and he should be. Uh, just recently had his 15th recovery birthday. Um, so he he knows what he's doing. He's walked the walk, right? And uh, everyone he's hired there, the, uh, uh, I think most of the, of the 18 to 20 employees themselves are in recovery. And that's key because, um, you know, uh, Bruce, when he, we always go back to this, Bruce had his best shot at recovery in a long-term facility that offered a continuum of care that he was in in Calgary. He had been to a couple of, uh, of short-term places before that uh, where those on the staff weren't necessarily all in recovery. Uh, and when he got to this place in Calgary, it was called Simon House and, and it remains open. Um, it's a good place. Uh, they took one look at him and said, we got your BS. And he stayed there for a year. And we, we as a family often conclude that if he had stayed for two, he would still be alive. Um, so that's why we're married to the idea of continuum of care. But that's a long way of answering your question. Uh, but we, when we met Greg, we knew that he was the guy uh, for the job. So he came on board and he has since hired um, a lot of people who know uh, what that life is like and, uh, and, and have got to the 12th step, the important 12th step of giving back and, uh, and, and know how to help people. And those are the people in charge of the responsibility of, uh, of running the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. We had uh, Steve Beaupre on the show last week, and Steve is a former multi-time Canadian boxing champion, Commonwealth medalist. Yeah. And, and, and now he he talked about his journey in recovery and, and working with uh, others, specifically in the Indigenous community. And I, I know that's going to be a, a big uh, part of what you're doing at uh, at, at the Bruce Hill Center. Well, absolutely. Uh, we know that a significant portion of the residents of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center will, from time to time, uh, be Indigenous. It's just the nature of the population um, it, where we live here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. And, and we've had tremendous support from the Indigenous community. Uh, Grand Chief Arlen Dumas has uh, has visited the facility a number of times, along with another of the Grand Chiefs, Garrison Setti. Um, Chief Leroy Connors from York Factory uh, have 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 been out to uh, Bruce Oak 
and have been impressed with it. Uh, we, we met in our meditation room, uh, which, uh, again, I wish we had pictures of it, but it's, uh, got a medicine wheel on the ceiling. It's that room has been ventilated. So it's equipped for smudging. Um, so we've been very, uh, respectful and aware of the uh, spiritual and religious needs of the indigenous community. And, uh, and we're proud of that. Um, Okay, I want to get to uh, to, to uh, talking a little bit about Darcy because he, he's an accomplished uh, magician. He was on Britain's Got Talent, actually made the finals. You know, I, I love his line on uh, Britain's Got Talent. He wanted to be a doctor, but his parents insisted that he become a magician. <laughs> I thought that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but he's uh, but we do have uh, some video of uh, of. Uh, of Darcy doing his thing, and I'm going to get uh, Vic to run that for us. best friend. Wow. Uh, I can't, I I can't, can't get, I can't get enough of watching that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, and it's, it's, it's difficult, a beautiful, but, beautiful thing. Yeah. But you know, Joe, uh, it's, yeah, it's emotional, but it's beautiful because it does, in a lot of ways, summarize Bruce's uh, and Darcy's relationship. They were best friends. Um, it, when when Bruce died, uh, you know, everybody grieves differently. Uh, and uh, really had a hard job getting going for about a year, but she she did. She went back to her career as a palliative care nurse, um, tending to, uh, or not tending to, but visiting the homes of dying people and, and uh, you know, taking care of them did it for a while longer before she finally retired but it was a difficult first year for her after bruce's passing no question about that darcy and i uh, went on similar paths i threw myself back into my job about um well god week two weeks later i was back at work and um that's how i handled it uh darcy did the same thing and when bruce died he threw himself into his career and uh hit the cruise ships worked there for a while but bruce was uh you know, a large part of his his inspiration and he honors Bruce in his shows. Um, That one you saw in other ways as well. So uh, Bruce has had a lot to do with Darcy's success. 
Yeah, he set that piece up with, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, telling people a little bit about the, the history with, with, with him and, and Bruce. And it was uh, amazing. But again, it, I, I hearken back to this, um, all the similarities here. We have like uh, both of our sons, heroin addicts, died of, died of overdoses when they were 25, accidental overdoses. Uh, talented kid, Spence was a, a wonderful artist and, and, and that spun, spun into his, his, his siblings as well. Uh, and, and very talented kids. Um, my son Tyler is an artist and, and he, he, he lives in Thailand and uh, mm-hmm. um, well, Here's some of his work. You know, mm-hmm. look him up at TylerTilly.com or TylerTilly loves you on Instagram. He's uh, he just painted that piece recently, but he's he does you know portraits of, of people and and he threw himself into his art. He was also a boxer for gosh sakes. I mean he he's uh, he uh, he won the Ontario Novice Championship uh, 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 and uh, you know it, it and to help him with his with his uh, uh, you know to calm keep calm and cool between fights he would he would start painting and he would paint with spencer and he would paint with maddie and and uh, my 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 daughter maddie who's also an artist and she's an author and uh, she wrote this book drawn dreams um she uh also uh, you know is an actress and she's a uh, uh, mother now which is kind of a real cool thing uh, i think uh being being a grandfather is, is another step in it like you know it's great you know uh, well, I think you, you, you should get Darcy on that because it's it's really pretty special thing uh, to become a grandfather. It, it's, uh, we're it's waiting, a and we're waiting. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. As you know, Joe, we, we don't have a lot of control over that, but we are waiting <laughs> yeah. with David. Believe you yeah. me. Yeah. yeah Darcy's yeah. actually uh, his, his partner, Leslie, and he are uh, very happy together. Leslie is uh, a physician, and we we love her because she's probably the best thing to happen to this family. And well, since Bruce died, but also she can write our prescriptions. So that's pretty good too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we, we, we hope uh, and pray uh, that uh, we're going to have a grandchild or grandchildren uh, sooner than later. Um, grandchildren offer you the opportunity to get, I think, <laughs> this is how I'm viewing it. And maybe you view it the same way, Joe, uh, uh, to get right. Everything is screwed up when they, when you had your own kids. Um, and plus you can say that's enough. Take them home now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, we, we, we so much look forward to it and, uh, yeah, it, it it'll be special. Yeah. I, I you know, it, it, you talked about getting back into work and that was, that was key for me too. Although, you know, the way I looked at work definitely changed. Like the things that used to seem so important now suddenly weren't really so important anymore. You know, it changes the perspective. But, you know, I, I was willing to let in the help. I was willing to let in the, uh, you know, uh, and, and of course, you, you also talked about the 12 step helping others. That to me is, is what makes it work. I, you know, you started the treatment center. I go into Addiction Rehab Toronto once a week and I, and I work there with the, with the young folks and, and try to help them you know, find recovery. And it's a, it's a thing that I need to do. And, and working with other alcoholics and addicts is something I've, I've done for a long time. But it, it, the more I throw myself into that, the better I feel. And that's, to me, is a recipe. The more we can be helpful, the more we can, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the more we easy, easier we can get through this. And to understand that we have an ability 
to be uniquely useful. We can help people like no other people can because of what we've experienced. So people that go through the same yeah. kind of experience that we have, we get to have that uh, that experience. So we know, one I, I would just question. Sorry, one, go ahead. Go ahead. one thing to that. Mm-hmm. We yeah. had a board meeting the other day, uh, uh, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center uh, board meeting, and um, we were our executive director, Greg, as you know, uh, in these board meetings, does his best to educate our directors. Uh, so we got talking. To, he he played a video about the twelve step program, and uh, and we got talking about it after. And another of our board members, Jonathan Parker, who himself is in recovery. Uh, John is a wonderful guy who uh, um, was headed to being a high draft pick in in, uh, in the NHL, but his life got derailed by uh, drugs and alcohol. Uh, he made a very salient point. Uh, he said, if you took the 12 steps and put them up on a wall somewhere and didn't include alcohol or, or drugs, which of course is NA, but say we just keep it to alcohol, didn't include alcohol and everybody abided by those 12 steps, the world would be a better place. So, um, you know, we're not experts in recovery, but that really struck me as, uh, as a very valid point, especially number 12, because being of service to others is the highest calling in the world, is it not? And I congratulate you and, uh, and you know, both your, the, the Tilly family, uh, all three of you, uh, you know, uh, in recovery for Spencer, sadly, it ended tragically. But people often ask me, who are my heroes, um, you know, when it comes to hockey? And you can pick out Wayne Gretzky and Connor McDavid. Those are easy. But for me... The, the heroes are the guys who got their lives back on track and could pursue their sport because they uh, they recognized that they uh, they were in trouble and needed to do something about it. So guys like, you know, I'm just picking up one name now, but, you know, Brian McGratton, who is, I think, uh, probably, oh, what is it, 11 or 12 years in recovery now and is of service to others as a developmental coach for the Calgary Flames. Guys like that are the ones that I really admire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's other, yeah, many more. You know, Jim Thompson, Chris Nyland, is Derek, Derek mm-hmm. Sanderson. There's like a lot of guys who Absolutely. who went yeah. through the ringer and came out the other side. And and uh, yeah, and and that and that's the key is is helping others. That's how you know. That's how we get through. And if there if there's one thing I could you know offer to anybody, it's like when you get out there and 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 be helpful in any way you can. That's going to help help you a lot more one question i wanted to say okay so you, first two well, two quick questions are you are you enjoying the playoffs are you enjoying what well you i only did so yeah I, I as always i um I, I love uh playoff time but uh the pandemic has made this a wholly different year so uh it was the desire of uh, rogers and sportsnet to limit travel so and i get it i'm was fully on board with that um so i only covered games in winnipeg this year um, so as you know, the Jets went out very quickly in the second round, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been a spectator since, but uh, but loving it, of course, because playoff hockey is special. And what did you think of the decision to uh, start Robin Leonard last night in, in, in Game Four for the Golden Knights against the Habs? Uh, a momentous decision, uh, one that was obviously not made lightly, one that could have blown up in Peter DeBoer's face. But, uh, you know, you roll the dice when you make decisions like that. He did, but he won. Uh, you know, Leonard was outstanding, key saves. Uh, but now we, he's got a bigger decision, I suppose, for the next game. Does he stick with Leonard or go back to Marc-Andre Fleury? So it's created that scenario. 
But I was intrigued by it, as were a lot of people. I was also intrigued by Leonard saying post-game that uh, he got to the rink four hours early and spent two hours uh, reading uh, the crap that people were talking, uh, directing to him and about him on Twitter, um, which I would have to say flies in the face of, of that long-held uh, uh declaration from professional athletes that I don't read anything about me. I just concentrate on the game. Leonard apparently is yeah. afraid to say he reads everything. Yeah, right. And, uh, and if it motivated him all the better. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a pretty gutsy move. And, and, and as you say, it worked out. Now we got a best of three. It's going to be a heck of a series. So I'm, I'm enjoying it immensely, immensely. So Scott, I want to thank you for uh, uh, being on the show and, and, and sharing your, your son's stories with us. And, and, uh, Good luck with the Bruce Oak Center. I, I, it's off to a great start, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be tremendously successful, and so many people are going to be helped by this, and it, it's it's beautiful. Uh, I'm sure everybody's proud, of course, including Bruce. You know, we got some of Spencer's ashes yeah. uh, sped at some 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 cool places too, and and uh, yeah, very very good for us. So uh, anyway, thanks again, Scott. Joe, uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about uh, the Recovery Center and our sons. Um, you know, I, I think I said this to you in a, one of our previous phone calls that we are members of a club that we would give anything not to be in, uh, but um, we're in it. And so we do the best we can. And I admire um, your work that you do uh, for yourself and in memory of Spencer. And, uh, and we're delighted to have been able to create a legacy for, for our son. Thank you, sir. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks. We'll have more sports when we return. Thank you. Excuse me. Have you heard of the new Divot app? There's a Divot app? No. But there is a Divot. And we're going to have to do something about that. It's simple. Just pick up the Divot and replace it. All sorted. Have a good round. Addiction Rehab Toronto. Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center. Saving lives reuniting families the only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox treatment sober living and lifetime aftercare all in one place our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity respect and purpose let us help save your life or your loved one's life call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention 1-855-787- 2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to hpibet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today, and your first bet is free. That's hpibet.com.
Well, it's time for, for my Swiss pick of the week. And uh, it was nice to get back to some racing on this side of the border. Last week, I took the number four horse, Anna Bolena, in Thursday night's sixth race in Mohawk. Now, it looked like she might make a move at the top of the stretch, but no one was going to get uh, catching, be catching Tanzanite Tricks, who went wire to wire for James McDonald. We Jill, the four to five favorite, got up for second. Anna Bolena had to settle for fourth. The six five exactor paid $28 and 70 cents. Uh, this week, well, we're back at Mohawk for Tuesday night's fifth race, Jaden's Place. The number six horse is coming off an impressive victory last week. Sylvan Filion drives for trainer Richard Moreau, who claimed this horse a couple of races ago. He's been a top two finisher in five of seven races this year. My record on the year is now five wins, two seconds, two thirds, five fourths, two fifths, two eighths, and a tenth. So it looks like if I'm not first, I'm fourth. Uh, for all the racing updates, visit Closet TV on Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options. Uh, don't you just love playoff hockey? A couple of great series going on. Habs and Golden Knights down to a best of three, which is just awesome. You know what? I like Peter DeBoer, as we mentioned with, with Scott. Uh, the guy is bold, but he can coach. Uh, Robin Lehner, a bold move that certainly paid off. And I, I think at this point, he's pretty much got to stick with Lehner now until uh, Leonard doesn't perform. But, uh, you know, at least he does have the uh, the option. And the Islanders getting back on even terms with the Lightning. Ryan Pullock with a last-second save to preserve that victory against the Lightning. Might be a, a seven-gamer here. And I'm game for that. I'm going to take the Bolts and the Knights in the final. The NBA's Eastern Conference final is finally set. The Bucks get the Atlanta Hawks. Giannis really came to play. You know, the Nets really miss Kyrie Irving. No way the 76ers lose to the Hawks if they had made that deal for Kyle Lowry, a deal that they're regretting now, I guarantee it. In the West, Clippers down to uh, down 2 nothing to the Jazz in that series. No problem. They lose Kawhi Leonard. No problem. Down 25 in the second half of Game 6. No problem. The Clips make the Final Four for the first time in franchise history. Going to be a good series with the Suns. Now the Suns took the opener for their eighth, eighth straight win, but I still like our Clippers Bucks final. June has not been a great month for the Toronto Blue Jays. Eight and 10 after taking two and three from the Orioles. One big positive against the Orioles. Reese McGuire came through with a huge game. The Jays catcher went four for five with a couple of runs scored and a couple driven in. And Hyunjin Rio allowed a run on three hits over seven innings with four strikeouts as the Jays took the rubber match, seven, four. There's seven games out of uh, first place in the East. Six and a half games out of a wild card spot. Jays acquired some bullpen help, some badly needed bullpen help, and Jacob Barnes and John Axford. John Axford signed a minor league deal. The 38-year-old from Simcoe, Ontario, hasn't pitched in the majors since 2018. Hopefully, he's got something left. George Springer is said to be doing well in his rehab stint. Should see him back with the big club real soon. Well, that was a huge effort by John Rahm at the U.S. Open. Some incredible clutch Putts, very Tiger-esque experience for the for the Spaniard. He becomes the fourth Spanish player to win a major, the first to win that Claret Jug. He's playing in simply the best golfer on the planet right now. Sad to see Mac Hughes unravel on the back nine, but the kid's got game. He will be back. By the way, our old pal Ken Shaw won the handicapping challenge. His picks were Rom, Brooks Kepka, and Colin Morikawa. Not shabby. Nice bounce back for Dennis Shapovalov, reaching the semifinals of the Queen's Court Club Championship, which is a Wimbledon tune-up. Go, Dennis. And we close now with, uh, with a look at the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, all-around great people. We highly recommend them all. 
A reminder that the show is available on the Spanglish Network and Zingo TV and the Fired Up Network. Thanks once again to Scott Oak for being on the show uh, and for sharing his experience. Uh, thank you for watching. We'll see you next week when Ken Reed drops by. We'll see you then. Get Aldo at Remax Crossroads. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Call 416 Get Aldo or visit www.getaldo.com to find out what next level real estate looks like. RS Demolition and Excavation has extensive experience with complete teardowns and interior strip outs. Looking to build a custom home? RS Excavating Services has the experience you need to build in established neighborhoods. For the highest level of quality and cost-efficient results, we provide innovative demolition solutions completed on time and on budget while ensuring our number one priority, safety. Call 647-852-3006 for an estimate or visit rsdemolition.ca. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. Gold Line Resources, discovering high-grade gold in Sweden. Gold Line Resources owns a prospective portfolio of four high-grade gold exploration projects located on the Gold Line Mineral Belt of north-central Sweden and one gold exploration project in the Skelftia Belt of north-central Sweden. For more information on how you can invest in this new initiative, go to goldlineresources.com or call one 800 858 9710. Gold Line Resources can also be found on the TSX Ventures Exchange as GLDL. Looking for an advantage in choosing your investment options? Belmont Venture Capital will provide you with the best up-to-date opportunities in the mid-cap and junior sector. The company was formed 12 and a half years ago and is spearheaded by two seasoned veterans of the financial markets with over 80 years combined experience. Go to BelmontVentureCapital.com today for the latest hot picks on the market. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. BelmontVentureCapital.com Brought to you by MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting tax and business consulting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the needs of our clients in the private, public and non-for-profit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to doing business and personalized strategies to help people and organizations succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Toronto, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, our team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca to learn more.